Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body, you're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's another season, another cycle, another year. Welcome on in. Who's got the fever? I got the fever. You got the fever. Somebody, anybody, everybody. Infectious Scouting Podcast season debut right here. Buckle up. We're counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft each and every week. Along with my co-host, Russell Landy, I am Rick Saratella, 275 days away. Keep it locked, keep it loaded. This is your go-to show if you want to be in the know, and I'm really looking forward to it. For those of you who tuned in down the stretch of the draft season last year, just a couple months ago, we appreciate you tuning back. And we're going to be even better. This was by far our most popular podcast. I'm really, really excited about it. And I get to pick the brain uh, each and every week of Russell Landy. 20 years of scouting experience with the L.A. Rams, Cleveland Browns, Montreal Alouettes, the XFL Original 1.0. And uh, we are just revved up, ready to go today. We're going to talk about a little SEC action, talk about some of the prospects there. We're going to try to preview all of the Power Five conferences before the college football season kicks off. Of course, the 2020 NFL Draft Bible Prospectus will be available in August. We are cranking it away, and we'll talk about some of those players here today. Uh, But before we do that, it's time to welcome in the star of the show, Russell Landy. You can follow him, by the way, folks, at Russ Landy, R-U-S-S-L-A-N-D-E. That's a must-follow. Of course, he also teaches a course at the Sports Management Worldwide for football, GM, and scouting. We'll talk about all that and more and how we got the name of this podcast a little bit later in the show. Russ, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Rick. What's going on, my friend? Oh, it's been too long. I know that. And uh, always love chopping it up with you here on the airwaves. So, uh, again, whether it's iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, wherever it may be, please subscribe it, like it, share it, spread the good gospel here of the NFL Draft Bible infectious scouting combination. And, uh, Russ, I don't know about you. I've been told this time of year, you know, uh, really – june and and into july if there are any breaks and we all know there's no down season but if there's any vacation time to get it in with your family uh this is about you know the time of year that it is done and now that with the uh, training camps kicking off it's it's basically summer's over football's in full swing media days are in effect and uh you know, just from our listening audience who is curious to know and kind of wants to get inside the brain 
of the scout preparation process. What is, you know, generally, and, and of course you've done it at various levels, but what does the typical routine look like for you this time of year? Well, firstly, you nailed it right on the screws in terms of this is literally the end of the nice, relaxing summer for the scouts. I mean, all the scouts that I talk to, I mean, they're all the last month they've been texting, oh, spending time with family, doing this, doing that, and out and about doing all the stuff they never get to do during the fall. Almost all the scouts show up a day or two before training camp starts or maybe on the first day, um, and they'll spend 10 days in training camp. And what they're really doing during that 10 days is A, making sure that the scouting staff and the coaching staff are still on the same page in terms of what they're looking for at each position to make sure that there's been no changes, even with organizations like Philadelphia or or New England that have had such success in recent years and have the same coach, there might be a tweak to what they're looking for at a certain position because a new coach comes in or they bring in a free agent that's going to force them to tweak their system a little bit. So you have to make sure you, you have all that covered so your scouts know what they're looking for when they go on the road. But the biggest thing the scouts are doing, other than watching practice and looking each day, you try to watch one position group. So you sort of have a feel for strengths and weaknesses of the team. What players that you guys drafted or signed as undrafted guys did you miss on initially? Obviously, never make a decision as quick. But what guys do you feel pretty confident with early on? Aside from that, the biggest thing scouts are doing is they're building their schedule. Because what people don't realize is, a scout doesn't just go to games on Saturdays. They're at, they're at the schools Monday through Friday at different colleges in their area. And you can't just say I'm making my schedule and picking the schools and putting them in the order of what's closest. Most Division One schools have restrictions. Whether those restrictions are very limited, like Iowa, which pretty much means you can come anytime you want. Um, as long as you're not here before 8 in the morning, come any day, it's no problem. As opposed to there are other schools that only let you in sometimes for one week during the college season where you're allowed to watch practice. And other schools, it's even more restrictive. So you have to work your schedule around these restrictions. And sometimes that means that although 80% of your schedule is pretty easy in terms of setting up where you're going, about four times a year you may have to actually hop in a plane fly to, back to a school that you've already driven by but you couldn't go to, spend a day at that school, and then fly back to where you were so you can keep your route going. So this time of year, not only do you have to set your schedule, get it, uh, the restrictions involved, then you have to turn them into your director because he has to make sure that all the scouts that are going to Missouri, the area guy, the cross-checker, that they're going to be a month apart when they go there because there's no sense in having a guy go cross-check the week after you were there. Because he's going to be watching the same film you did. He's going to be talking to the same coaches at the same time of the season. You want to always separate by a month because things can change. When a team is winning, everything's positive. The kids who may have be a little bit of a troublemaker, teams don't bring that up as much because things are good and everybody's happy. So you want to go there when they're winning. And if they start losing, you want to be there. So you have to make sure you space that out. So the biggest thing in training camp is getting those schedules set, And for veteran scouts who have the same area year after year, it's pretty easy because they know the restrictions. But every once in a while, new head coach comes in, changes what they're doing, and you have to tweak your schedule. So that's really what scouts are diving into really right about now for the next 10 days. Yeah, and listen, you know, there's only a dozen or so weekends in the college football season. So, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you get, you know, opening weekend, for example, I've got a triple header Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but that's not always going to be the case. So you got to kind of take a look ahead, 
the whole calendar year, figure out which games you're going to be at. And, hey, if there's a school in my neck of the woods or in my backyard, I'm not going to be able to make it over there to a game. Well, hell, I better be at one of those practices. And, of course, here at the NFL Draft Bible, we're going to get ready to do our college campus tour. We just got done with ACC Media Day. We'll be at NEC Media Day. And then, you know, our campus tour where, you know, like you said, Russ, some of these schools have, you know, it's a case-by-case uh, situation. Some some allow you to come watch practice. Others do not. Today, for example, when we wrap up this podcast, the Temple football team, they'll be down at the Reading Terminal, a really casual, laxed atmosphere. And, you know, hey, we've got about four players there on our radar for the NFLPA Collegian Bowl. I want to go talk to them. I want to go meet them. I want to go get to know the person without the chin strap, without the helmet on. And I think that's what we're doing here, uh, whether it's for the publication, whether it's for our all-star event on January 18th out in Pasadena, California. Um, You've got to know, especially when you're a regional guy, you've got to know every player in your neck of the woods. And God forbid, Russ, we go into a scouting meeting and someone from the uh, Collegian Bowl out in L.A. asks me about a player at Temple and I don't know about him. I mean, it's downright embarrassing. And hey, well, that's, that's exactly it. That's you're so right. You yeah. you don't have to be perfect in your evaluation, but you have to know where every kid is, and that's the most Absolutely. important thing. Yeah, and I think that's the fun time of the year. It's kind of like hey, we've got these preseason grades now, and we've got this baseline, right? The preseason grades are good for a baseline, a starting point, and then as you know, Russ, a lot happens, a lot transpires between. Now and then, but I want to just touch base on one thing you mentioned earlier is, you know, going to that training camp, spending the 10 days before you go and hit the college scouting scene again. I think it's really important uh, if you're an evaluator to kind of have that baseline for your own team, Uh, your internal mind. uh, You have, you know, different positions on the team, different areas of strength hey, you know, we need some cornerback help. Let me watch the, the unit as a, as a whole. Let me see where our strengths are, where our weaknesses is, uh, where our depth can be approved upon. Because if you don't know what your talent level is on your own roster, you, you're not going to know what to go look for when you're out there uh, hitting the scouting trail. So um, some really good and And, one, and what I'll throw yeah. in there for you is a perfect example is two years ago, if you're a chief scout, you go into training camp, and if you're just looking at the team from sort of an outsider's perspective, you're saying, well, we got Tom Bali, we got D Ford, we're in a good position. But a well-run team, and the Chiefs are one of them, most likely told their people, hey, Tom is probably done. He may not even make the team this year, and D's a free agent a year from now. You guys need to make sure any guys that are in that 225 to 240 range on the road that you might think are probably not draftable, maybe free agents, you need to do extra work on them. Because we need to bring in a bunch of those guys to be prepared to maybe sign a bunch of undrafted guys if we can't find a guy, whether it was via trade like they did for, for Frank Clark. But you got to be prepared for if you can acquire a veteran guy that's established of bringing in three, four, five undrafted guys, drafting two guys. So it's looking ahead. It's not only looking at what you have, but the well-run teams like Kansas City, like Philly, like New England, they're always looking two years out. What guys' contracts are going to be up? Which guys are we not going to be able to replace? I mean, imagine mm-hmm. where the Chargers would be right now if they didn't have Austin Eckler. Because if they don't have sure. him and Melvin Gordon's holding that out, I guarantee you they'd be paying Gordon whatever he wanted. But with Eckler there, not that he's as good as Gordon, they can at least feel a little bit of comfort saying, you know what, we can, we can, we can force Melvin to come back in, whereas if Eckler wasn't there, they'd probably pay him pretty much whatever he was looking for. 
You know, and, and Daytrez Newsom there down the stretch. I mean, another undrafted running back that that played a yep. little bit of a, a key role. I mean, that's you're exactly right. I mean, the Patriots. Everybody says, "Hey, why do they do this time and time again?" Well, you know, they're they're the best at. They'd rather. Hey, I'd rather let a guy go a year too early than a year too late. Look at the linebacker they traded to Cleveland. I think Collins. Yep. I mean, he was still playing at a high level. But look how quickly, you know, he didn't live up to the big money. And, you know, the other thing they do is they do their homework on these, you know, other teams call them flameouts or busts. Hey, the Patriots, they take those former first-round guys, whether it's a Cordero Patterson, uh, uh, the linebacker, Vander Esch we've seen. I mean, they turn these guys into contributors and, and factors on their team. And all of a sudden, you know, they're infamous for trading out of the first round and, and stockpiling all these picks. All of a sudden, they have all these former first-round picks on the roster that are uh, quote-unquote retreads that, uh, you know, they're able to coach up so and, right. and, and make something out of, you know. Yeah, 100%. So, they do a great job, and you nailed it on the screws. The Patriots are the best at doing that. So let's do this. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you know, we're talking NFL draft. We're going to count you down the next 275 days to the 2020 NFL draft in Las Vegas. Book a room now, folks. The rooms aren't getting That's right. Cheap. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and I think, you know, there was a document unveiled, 150 pages. I don't know why there's 150 pages of detail on how the draft is going to be run in Las Vegas, but just, you know, uh, skimming through the bullet points, I truly believe – I know we say this every year – I truly believe this is going to be the largest, never mind NFL draft event, this might be the largest. I mean, this might be comparable to the World Cup. Call me crazy. But, I mean, this is going to be be one of the biggest events uh, of all time, really. I'm so excited for it. And we're talking to Russell Landy here, who also teaches a sports management worldwide course in football GM and scouting. Russ, we – kind of touch base on uh, the scouting preparation, what goes into a schedule and all that. But, you know, without giving too much of the course away, give us a little scouting tip, maybe something you might do a little little bit different than others. What, give us a little kind of insight here in terms of your preseason scouting preparation. Well, you know, one of the things I really try to do, and you were a big help this year because instead of my having to go compile an entire list of every player in the whole country, you were able to give me sort of a, a starting point saying, okay, here's all the seniors, all the all the good juniors at, at all the colleges in America. And what I try to do is I try to at least get one game looked at before the season starts on all the big schools. Because if you get one game looked at, you can eliminate some guys. You can see some guys are bad athletes and just say, you know what, even though I'd love to see this guy make it, the reality is he is just not a good enough athlete. I'm not going to have to devote time to watching six games next year. I'll watch two or three just to double check, but this is not a rare special guy that i got to put all that time into. So having the ability to take a quick peek at a lot of schools – watch one or two games. That to me is one of the big things that helps me. And I know when I was with the Browns, it helped a ton is watching one or two games of every school, whether it was D one all the way down to the low levels, wherever they had a prospect, just so you're prepared for the season and you know what to expect when you start looking at a school. And you do this tons, Rick too, is when you start watching film, if it's a guy you haven't watched, you have to get used to where is he lining up? Where do they move when they go to nickel? What is his assignment? Well, if you've watched a game as a junior, 
most likely you've got a feel for what he looks like on the field, where is he lining up, what are his assignments. It's a lot easier to get into your scouting quickly than to have to be worried about figuring out where he is and finding him on the field. Yeah, and, you know, I think where, you know, you got to be conscious, too, of doing, you know, some people just say stick to the film, stick to the film. If you don't do the proper background research and, you know, realize, hey, oh, there's a new defensive coordinator. Oh, hey, they're switching from a 34 to 43. Oh, hey, I watched last year's film. Well, you know, two years ago they played a different scheme. You better go watch that film, too, especially if he's a tweener. So there's so many different factors. And I'll throw a little scouting tip out there because, you know, that database I sent you, Russ, we probably got over 1,700 players. There's no possible way that even an entire scouting department can can cover that many players thoroughly. So I think, you know, part of the evaluation process is also knowing who to listen to. And then, you know, when you do get to the all-star scene, you know, <clears throat> we might have two or three guys at the NFL PA Bowl. We'll have another two or three guys at the East-West Shrine game. But there's 110, 112 players out there to evaluate. How do you do that? You know, my piece of advice, and, and, and you know, tell me if you have a, a, another thing that can help out, because I know a lot of uh, independent websites, uh, you know, they'll send a one-man scouting team. So how do you evaluate all these players? I usually say, hey, well, listen, it's like chopping wood. You focus on one player at a time. If you can get uh, your eyes on about 12 reps and, you know, throughout the all-star week, you know, whether that be one-on-one, seven-on-seven, or or end-of-practice scrimmage and and the game, if you can get about 12 reps on a player, well, then, hey, at least you can get somewhat of a feel. It's never going to tell the whole story. But, again, you're trying to, you know, comb through an all-star team. You kind of want to have a little bit of a background and familiarity with all these guys. Well, no, you nailed it on the screws. When you're going to the All-Star Games, especially the, the, the ones like an East-West or an NFLPA, it's so difficult because they have so many good players, and all you get is practice. You don't get a chance. The Senior Bowl is wonderful because I can go to practice and say, hey, I'm only looking at receivers today because as soon as practice is over, I'm going to go back to the hotel and watch the film that they let us watch, and I can catch up on everything I didn't see. But at those East-West games, NFLPA, and the smaller ones going down to like the Dream Bowl and things like that, what I really try to do is that first day, I try to just go out there with a blank piece of paper and just watch practice. And any player that jumps out, does anything really good or really bad, I write their number down. And the next two or three days, I try to focus on those guys. Because there's usually about 25 guys that first day that do something, usually 20 positive, five negative, that get your attention, and I'm going to focus on them. Now, if anybody else jumps out, I'll jot down that number. And at the end of the week, I try, if I'm at a game all by myself, if I can have a feel for 35 guys, not a great feel like where I'm going to write a report, but a good enough feel to where I can say, okay, these are guys I'm going to go do more homework on, then I feel I had a good week at that all-star game. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, uh, friends and family who, you know, kind of know what I do but don't really understand what I do, they'll say, hey, you know, how how was uh, Tampa? Hey, how was St. P? How was uh, L.A.? It's like, man, I wish I knew, but you just – Yeah, all you know about it, all you can find out is the restaurants. That's really yeah, about it. I mean, think about it. 25 players on the first day alone, you're trying to go back and, and, and you're in your room all night writing up these reports and – uh you know, that's the kind of stuff behind the scenes that goes into it. And, hey, Russ, hopefully we can get you out to Pasadena for the NFL PA Collegiate Ball. I promise you, brother, uh, you will have all access 
to the film. Hey, you want me there? I will be there. (laughs) There you go. NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. Check that out. I'm really excited about being involved and working with those guys this year and just looking to elevate it into a whole new uh, level. So, um, yeah, we appreciate that support. Again, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella, breaking it down, uh, counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft, 275 days away here on July 23rd, 2019. Know what I mean? Hey, Russ, this is too much fun. We're going to talk about all the uh, Power Five conferences before the season kicks off. Uh, A a big bulk and majority of the players uh, coming from that, especially the SEC. The SEC has been dominant. I think we've seen about 45 to 60 players drafted annually uh, from the SEC conference. So we start there, and uh, we start with the senior prospects. Uh, obviously, again, there's going to be so many players, but uh, who, are, who are a couple guys that you've been kind of uh, able to dig into here early on? You know, I got to tell you, the, the weird thing was the SEC is always one of the hardest conferences when it comes to seniors because the elite yeah. guys – Pretty much They're not elite. Around. Like we, yeah. yeah, like when you start looking, oh, Alabama, look, they have no senior starters or one senior starter. Auburn has one. So you really have to go through and say, okay, which guys chose to stay when they could have gone and maybe not been a first rounder, but been a third or fourth rounder, or which guys really never even thought of going. They just said, I want to be here. So a few guys to me that jump out, they haven't all gotten national attention. But when I look at Derek Brown, defensive tackle at Auburn, this is a productive football player. May not be the ideal size, a little bit undersized, but when you watch him play, he's disruptive. He makes plays behind the line of scrimmage. This is a kid that I think this year is going to continue to grow, is going to continue to get better, really could help himself. Um, Alabama does have two seniors that I think have to be looked at, but I don't know if these are guys that you're going to automatically say first-rounders because they are seniors. They probably would have come out early. But Raekwon Davis, defensive lineman, Anthony Jennings, you sort of outside linebacker also does a little bit of pass rush occasionally. Um, that's not his forte, but occasionally I saw him do it once or twice last year. Blitzing. Those are two really athletic kids. Um, I like J.R. Reed, the state, the DB from Georgia. This is a kid who has not gotten a ton of national attention um, in terms of a guy that really people pushed as a draft guy. But I think he's a kid that with a strong year, he could really solidify himself as a guy in that group, that upper tier group of safeties. So he could put himself in a position to be a higher draft pick. Yeah, all good names, and uh, again, you know, all potential, you know, first-round picks for the most part. Anthony Jennings, I think, is a guy uh, with some injury history that could, you know, maybe push him down the board a little bit. And then, you know, Raekwon Davis, who you mentioned, uh, I love his on-the-field attributes. A little bit of a down year a season ago, um, but NFL scouts, they're really going to have to dig deep on this one because uh, here's a guy – praised for his work ethic uh you talk to the coaching staff there they just uh talk about his competitive drive this guy is just in tip-top condition uh, maybe the best conditioning on the team then you go off the field and you know coming in there was academic issues they were you know last second whether he was going to be uh eligible uh coming in academically then you know last season i think he was suspended for throwing uh those punches at the missouri player when the player was down on the ground uh before his sophomore season 
struck in the leg by a stray bullet, uncooperative with police. Rumors are he shot himself in the leg. Uh, flashes of uh, Plaxico Burris. Now, on the film, first-round talent, uh, you know, physically, uh, it, it's really those are the things that can make or break you know, I remember watching the behind the scenes with the 49ers during the draft, the war room celebrating because they got the middle linebacker from Bama a couple years ago. They traded back into the back half of the first round. They said, oh, man, we just got two top five talents on our draft board. Well, we already know that linebacker's got into more trouble, got cut. I think he's on the Redskins now, but you got to really uh, weigh the risk and reward of these players on and off the field. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, one of the things that I talk about all the time in that course that I teach and that I talk about whenever I do radio is Bill Belichick, uh, Howie Roseman, Tom Telesco. These guys have been doing this a long time. They know how to watch film, and they can generally tell this guy's got a chance to be a productive player or not. They're not fools. They know what they're doing. The bulk of players that are drafted in the first three rounds that don't make it, usually it's because of intangibles, whether it's character, whether it's like in terms of off-the-field behavior, being a drunk, having a drug problem, not being able to learn, not being a good teammate, those are the things that generally wash guys out that are high draft picks. It's not the fact that Bill Belichick sits there and goes, wow, this guy looks like a future Hall of Famer. I'm going to take him in the first round. And every other team thinks he's a terrible player, and he gets drafted in the first round. That doesn't really happen. It's the character and intangibles, and certain teams are remarkably better at going through and sifting through all the stuff to find the guys that they may have had character issues in college, but they're really not bad kids and they're going to fit in well in the locker room, whereas other teams do a terrible job and they constantly draft guys, like you talked about with the Reuben Foster kid with the 49ers, that there are a lot of teams in the NFL had them off their board. They said, this is a guy we can't even screw with because regardless of his talent, and don't get me wrong, he's got talent, there are so many red flags that say he's not going to even survive in the NFL in terms of off the field, forget as a player, that those guys don't make it. So it's a very difficult thing to figure out, but certain teams are dramatically better at figuring out which guys are going to last long term. And as you know, one bad apple can be infectious. So you got to be careful. Well, I'll give you a, they can be infectious. And as Mike Dick uh, told me years ago, he said, never try to stick a great guy with a bad guy thinking the great guy is going to turn the bad guy because he goes, by six months in, you're going to have two bad guys. He goes, the bad guys can mm-hmm. turn good guys. Good guys can't turn bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Negativity is one of those uh, diseases of the mind that tends to rub off on people. So, uh, you know, before we move on to some of the draft eligible underclassmen, Russ, you mentioned Derek Brown, who uh, I think he would have been potentially a top 10 pick had he declared this past year, but uh, a mammoth, you know, 325-pounder, 83-inch wingspan, timed in the 495 range. Uh, he's going to earn himself some money in Indianapolis. And then, you know, one other guy, this uh, Vanderbilt tight end, Jared Pinckney, I think he he has an opportunity here, I think, to be the top uh, tight end prospect in the nation. And, you know, uh, he got a, a, a 
NFL uh, advisory grade last year. He's, you know, applied for some feedback. They came back and said, hey, you're probably somewhere between the second and fourth round. He said, okay, well, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to improve my game, and I'm going to challenge to be that number one tight end. And I think he's a mismatch. I mean, I want to see him get better at blocking. Uh, just like most collegiate tight ends, but this guy's a mismatch. He's uh, too 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 fast for linebackers, too big for safeties. Uh, I like what I see from Jared Pinkney. It would not surprise me if he is indeed the first tight end off the board. All right, let's shift gears. You know, by uh, the way, I just want to reiterate. Good thing you brought him sure. up. That was I, I. I forgot to mention you nailed him. He is a legit frontline guy. Great job of uh, reminding me that he is, yeah, he's, he's, he's no doubt a top-end guy that has a chance to be a very high pick. When you see that two tight ends went in the top 15 this year, he could be right there yeah. at that level next year if he has a strong season. Yeah, and, you know, I heard uh, uh, from sources, you know, Titans GM John Robinson was scouting them heavily. They thought he was going to come out this year. Uh, they were looking at him as kind of that Delaney Walker replacement type, 260-pound, uh, agile, mobile, uh, just receiving weapon. Um, so, yeah, you know, th- those those triplets, I know uh, Nagy from the Senior Bowl was uh, at the media day and, and put something out there about, you know, the, the running back, wide receiver, and tight end there are a, as a dynamic triplets trio in, in the country. And I would have to tend to agree the Lipscomb kid and the running back Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, uh, for, for being one of the quote unquote smaller schools in the SEC, they have got uh, some really offensive yeah. ammunition to, to be looking forward to. And, um, you know, I think the running back might also be a senior too, uh, but Lipscomb is an underclassman. So let's shift gears there, Russ. Uh, draft eligible. This is where, you know, the kind of where SEC not only dominates the draft like we discussed, but especially uh, that first round. Hey, if 10 or 12 of these guys are, are uh, in the first round, it wouldn't be surprising. But uh, who are who are some of the more notable draft eligible underclassmen? Well, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you, when you look at Tua, uh, quarterback at Alabama, and Jake Fromm, quarterback at Georgia. I mean, just right there, you have guys who are two potentially top five or seven picks, and they're quarterbacks that are underclassmen in the same conference. I mean, it's the depth and talent in that conference is crazy. I mean, I really like the running back, DeAndre Swift, out of Georgia. I think he's a very, very underrated uh, player. The Judy, the receiver at Alabama, I mean, he's ridiculous. Ruggs, a receiver at Alabama. I mean, it's the talent of underclassmen is astonishing in the SEC. I would I would venture to say the talent in the SEC, if you just took the juniors, is better than all the seniors in any other conference in the country. And it's truly amazing how much talent they have in the SEC. It's it's as you rattle off those names, I'm saying, yep, top five, top ten. Uh, yep, we didn't even talk about the safety from LSU, Grant Delpit. I mean. Oh, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the the offensive lineman. I got a chance to watch him a little bit. Andrew Thomas. I, I yep. I would... Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Willis from Alabama. I mean, it's it's a long list of underclassmen. The tight end from Missouri, believable. Who who I think I yeah, think the kid from Missouri Albert may Hill. challenge it. Yep, he may yeah. challenge Pinkney. They may be that those two could well be better tight ends than the two who went in the top fifteen this year. Uh, wow. it, it's just the talent in the SEC when you look at especially underclassmen, it's freaky. 
No, that that's crazy. I mean, you got like you said in the same conference, those two quarterbacks are going to be competing to be the first quarterback off the board. Those two tight ends are going to be competing to be the first two tight ends off the board. Um, this middle linebacker here, Dylan Moses from Alabama, probably the first linebacker yep. maybe off the board. I mean, his measurables are through the roof. You're talking about a guy 6'3", 235. Um, he's been timed now in the 4'4'6 range, according to the coaching staff. 34-inch uh, vert, 500-pound squat, 400-pound bench, 335 power clean. I mean, <laughs> this is these are coming from a linebacker um, that runs like a running back uh, that hits like uh, Ronnie Lott. I mean, th- this is going to be a star-studded. Um, C.J. Henderson from Florida could be the first corner off the board. I mean, the list is crazy on and on and on. It's unbelievable. Trayvon Diggs from Alabama. He might be the first cornerback off the board. There's a another one of those seniors that came back to to uh, play his final year, but. Um, no, the list goes on and on, and I'm just, you know, scrolling through this NFL Draft Bible prospectus. Uh, you know, the top 20 or 30 guys, half of them are underclassmen from the SEC. So um, you want a good overview or perspective of this year's upcoming draft? Well, hey, go dig into some of those underclassmen in the SEC. And uh, the talent never ends, Russ. There's always guys uh, on the come up in the future. And, um whether it be, you know, uh, sophomores not yet eligible, some incoming uh, freshmen, redshirt freshmen, any guys here that, you know, maybe for the 2021 draft and beyond that we'll be keeping tabs on? Well, the one guy to me that immediately jumps out, and that's his father played in the league, and he had a great freshman year, is Patrick Sertain Jr. playing at Alabama. Oh, Um, yeah. This is a kid, when you watch him play, you think, man, this guy's NFL-ready already. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's only going to be a sophomore this year, so obviously he's not eligible. But this is a guy that I could see instantly. Right away, you see he's got the athleticism that you want lining up as as a starting corner in the NFL. Uh, He's a guy you have to be aware of. If you're watching Alabama this year, just take a peek. If you want to see a guy that a year later is going to be talked about as a top 10, possibly top 5 pick, this is a guy you've got to look at. Uh, Marco Wilson, the DB from Florida. Going into his sophomore year, another guy, very athletic, very intriguing guy. And Isaiah Wilson, interior offensive lineman at Georgia, um, had a really good year last year, 13 starts. This is a kid, you can't pencil in a guard as a first-round pick, obviously, but when you look at what he does, you can pencil this kid in as his first year showed that he has a lot of the tools to be a starting guard in the NFL if he continues on the path he's going and stays healthy. Very good. Some names here I'm writing down that I got to go do my homework on as well. So that's always exciting. Uh, Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, breaking it down. 2020 NFL Draft Edition. Uh, Get ready. It's coming on strong. The next 275 days, we're happy you're here. We appreciate all the love and support. Uh, Again, by far our most popular podcast that we've ever done here. So if you're on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, wherever it may be. Uh, Hey, give us a little bit of love. Spread the word. We appreciate everybody that can help us uh, spread our message because this is what we love to do. In case you couldn't tell, uh, the passion just oozes through our bloodstream and it gets infectious, Russ, which, um, you know, we want to 
you know, let our listening audience know that you're uh, back on the media scene and you've got a new uh, brand, a new name. Tell the people at home a little bit about it. You know, it's funny. I mean, I've been in this business now since 94. Um, and, and I love scouting. And I've been, I talk to friends all the time, both in the league and out of the league. And what comes up over and over is that once you get the buck, and you have it, Rick, you've been doing this 20 years, and you grind like no one I've ever seen. You and maybe Jay Glazer are the two biggest grinders I've ever come across. Oh, man. And I think wow. in this business, once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. And no matter how much you may want to walk away at times because of the frustration or because of whatever the reasons may be, you can't. It literally is a disease that you get, and you can never get rid of it. Um, Bill Parcells always says that uh, working in the NFL is a job for maladjusted adults, and I, and I think that's right because it's not something that everybody can handle because of the ups and downs, the emotional just craziness of it. But it is like a disease, and once you get it, you can't get rid of it. And that's a big part of why I named the company Infectious Scouting when I rebranded it because, to me, it is an infection. There are times you want to just pull your hair out, but you can't get away because you just realize <laughs> this is what you love and it's in your blood. No, it's so true. Uh, I can't echo those sentiments enough. And, hey, I appreciate those kind words, Russ. We're always chopping wood here and, uh, you know, just grinding away. And, uh Metal on metal, but, uh, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, any other final thoughts, any players we didn't cover, anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? Of course, the Sports Management Worldwide Football GM and scouting course is going strong. How can people sign up for that? You know, I mean, what we do at, 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 in that course, it's, you're not going to take an eight-week course, which that is, and all of a sudden finish that and get a job in the NFL. It just isn't going to happen. Um, it's way out of uh, – proportion, the amount of people that want to work in the NFL and the amount of jobs that there are. But what this course does is it teaches you the basics about player evaluation and it gives you the tidbits and the little bits of knowledge that will help you make contacts and build relationships throughout college football and pro football because that's the entire way you're going to succeed in this business. Whether you end up as a Thomas Dimitrov running a team or me, a guy that bounces around working in the league, working in media, working in the league and working in media, or someone like Rick who's built this media career that spanned 20 years, regardless of where you are, inside, outside, half inside, outside, you have to have contacts. And that's what the course teaches you. It teaches you about ways to make contacts, best methods to build those contacts, because that's what it's about. It's not about taking an eight-week class, getting, a, getting your certificate and saying, yep, I'm ready for the NFL. That's not going to happen. But it will teach you the basics of scouting, and it will give you pointers on how to best put yourself in position to make contacts. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, you could be the best talent evaluator in the world, but if we don't know about you, well – it ain't going to get you very far. And, hey, uh, Russ has got the best of both worlds because not only do his contacts run deep in the league and, and amongst the NFL and CFL and even the XFL coming back, if, if you want to work in football, it's a great time. But he also has the media roots. And, you know, you might remember him from football, uh, you know, GM Jr. Well, now it's infectious scouting. It's going to be back better than ever. Uh, new website, new publication, new everything coming. So keep on the lookout for that. And I will tell you that we have used plenty 
of sports management worldwide graduates that have, uh, you know, finished his course, done some work with the NFL Draft Bible, have gone on to go into the league. They've gone on and started their own websites. I run into guys all over the scouting trails now at different events and Indianapolis and the pro days and, uh, Hey, remember me? We met at the Sports Management Worldwide Combine Seminar, and just uh, that is truly, quite honestly, the best networking event of the year just because it's the who's who of not only the NFL world, but it, it collides with, you know, the young up-and-coming folks who, you know, er- like you said, everybody's ambitious, everybody has a dream. Once you start getting those hands dirty a little bit, cutting up and, and those scabs, you know, <laughs> with all the hard work that goes into it, some, some, you know, I would say most people find out it's really not what they expected and maybe not for them. But the online course is a great starting point because uh, if you, it, it, it's a gut check. You really find out it's yes. cut for because, Russ, you put them through like a real life scenario of what to expect if they do go on in this world. Oh, there's no question. I mean, the reality is there are a lot of people that take my course, come into it thinking I'm going to be a scout, I'm going to become a GM. And once they get into it and realize the things that it takes, the type of patience and time you have to commit, just to watch and film a one player, a lot of them say, you know what, I love football, but I don't love this stuff. So it's one of those rare things where it gives you an opportunity to really learn about the business before you have to dive right in. Yeah, I mean, and I'll – say right now right here if if you don't have a good lady at home that understands there's a reason why quite honestly most scouts are, are single males because there's not much time for the home life so you know that's just one of many factors to consider and and russ and i have both been blessed with with understanding ladies and boy it takes quite a bit of patience indeed um <laughs> on top of it they need to be vaccinated, Russ, because, you know, this scouting thing, as you said, is infectious, and we're going to be uh, looking forward to the new website. Congratulations on air. Of course, we talk all the time off air, but let me congratulate you on the air uh, with your new brand, your new name. I'm so excited to uh, help out and be a part of it in any way, and we'll talk more about it as our podcast series rolls on. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll uh, talk a little bit about – what scouting entails, where we're at with our scouting trails, some of the games that we'll have lined up, some reaction from media days. I was on hand at ACC media day down in Charlotte. I can give you uh, some inside scoops on some top-notch prospects because that's what we do here at the Infectious Scouting Podcast brought to you by NFL Draft Bible Radio. Of course, make sure you follow Russ at Russ Landy. Uh, you can follow me at Rick Saratella at NFL Draft Bible is a good way to kind of figure out everything that's going on in the NFL Draft Bible universe. Of course, if you're tuning in uh, this week, keep on the lookout. The NFLPA Collegiate Bowl will begin to drop its watch list. Very, very prestigious honor, even more so if you do get selected. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we'll uh, release it by position. Over the next few weeks, we'll do several positions each and every week. And, of course, uh, we'll have details very, very soon on how you can get your copy of the 2020 NFL Draft Bible Prospectus. It will be available in August. We'll have uh, scouting reports on the top 100 prospects. We'll have the top FCS prospects, the top HBCU prospects, 
the top international prospects. Uh, we're not just combing the country here. We're sailing seas. We're going international across the globe, on location, across the nation. Make sure you keep it locked, everybody. Till the next time, we appreciate it, and thank you so much. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.